Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feed Bin in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And away we go, Bob. It's uh, September the 6th already, the Bob Olin Show. This gardening has got to be uh, starting to wind down a little bit, I would think. Well, yeah, it is to some extent. Hasn't the weather been just absolutely spectacular lately? Mm-hmm. We're starting to warm things up, getting plenty of sunshine. I, You know, we're not really winding down yet. We're just hitting our peak, Dave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it should be harvest you know, time, though, right, for a lot of stuff. Yeah. It absolutely is, and uh, as everyone knows who lives here, we got off to a slow start, mm-hmm. snow in May, and very, very cool, and and now we're very, very hopeful that we'll get some warm and continuous weather, maybe a little bit of rain coming here into the fall. Kind of interesting, you're trying to ripen a lot of things, and I know that uh, tomatoes number one uh, crop uh, of gardeners, at least in North America, and certainly in this area as well. Uh, most people experiencing uh, similar type situations. Lots of green tomatoes yet, and uh, we need a little heat to warm those things up. But nonetheless, hopefully, we get a two things: a delayed frost and then some warmer temperatures. You mentioned Thursday being a nice day mm-hmm. for us. Yeah, back into the eighties again by Thursday, and then cooling off again the next day. But uh, at least one day of nice hot weather. Yeah, we'll we'll take a little bit of that. That's mm-hmm. for sure for ripening things up. You know, it is. Uh, it's early fall. And uh, because of that, there is an ideal time to be doing a couple of things. I think uh, talk a little bit about lawn care. If there's one time when you're really going to focus on the lawn, uh, it would be right now. Uh, Our common Kentucky bluegrasses are kicking out, instead of blades, they're kicking out underground stems called uh, rhizomes. And uh, these kick up, they've all got buds, and these will kick up blades next spring. So what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get a nice thick lawn without a lot of additional mowing. We fertilize in the spring, and we're just going to be doing a lot of mowing. If we fertilize now, we will actually be pushing the plants out, increasing the plant population, and we'll see the benefits without additional fertility next spring with a, a thicker, uh, denser, lusher lawn at that particular time. So this is the ideal time for some fertility. Early fall is also the ideal time if you elect to control weeds. Now, we've got an interesting situation going where we're, we want bee-friendly lawns, so people are tolerating a little bit more clover, and they're tolerating some dandelions and other things. So this is the option that you have. But certainly, if you're going to use any kind of a weed control, uh, uh, weed and feed, anything like that, much more effective at this time. I mean, we've got some uh, some broadleaf weeds. I think of uh, Creeping Charlie out there that people like to eliminate. They struggle with it. You know, it's got a beautiful... A lavender flower. Unfortunately, it's not very bee friendly. It's too bad there because the bees really can't take advantage of that. So it's not in any of our bee lawn mixes. But if people want to eliminate that and in shady conditions, it will kind of take over. It can be very, very dominant. So you can eliminate it um, with any number of uh, products this time of year. Uh, going to be hard to do, harder to do later. So early fall application of some of these materials is uh, is ideal and it will work very effectively. But because uh, Creeping Charlie, as an example, is so well adapted, uh, you have to think a little bit about changing the environment. In most cases, trees have grown up, and we've got more shade, and grass needs sun. So you might want to think about taking down a tree or two. You might want to think about thinning uh, so that we get a little bit more sunlight penetration. Because just to constantly 
uh, use chemicals to remove weeds like that can be uh, real challenging and it doesn't really solve the problem. So think a little bit about changing the environment. Uh, grass, common bluegrass, even our, our ryegrasses do all prefer as much sunlight as we possibly can give them, Dave. So those are, right. I think, lawn, lawn care, weed control, fertility, that's, that should be on everyone's radar right now because if you're going to do it once in a year, uh, this is the time of year to be doing that, Dave. All right, let's head to the phones. Hi, who's this? This is Ben calling from Cloquet. Go for it, Ben. Um, I'm calling. Hello, Ben. We've got some problems with lilacs. Okay. Lilac uh, leaves are curling up and, and uh, turning brown. And this is uh, too early for that. Yeah, it's too early for that. When did you first begin seeing that? Oh, probably in the last month. Last month, so it's been going on for a while. Have you inspected them closely? Do we see any webbing at all? Uh, no. We've had some no no insect uh, problems potentially there at all that you've seen on the underside of the leaves is where you want to take a little look. Um, how, old, how old are the plants? Well, the plants have been there for 60 years, but they've been I've trimmed them and cut back stems and that for years. For and years. So. And is this the first time you've observed this? Yes. Okay, let me take a look at the leaves themselves. Um, the area that's browning off, is it across the entire leaf, or are you seeing segments, areas that are... are, are um, uh, uh, we call it necrotic, where the tissue is breaking down, pockets of that, irregular shapes, that type of thing. It seems more like just the, the edges just keep curling back. The the edges. Edges and they're just curling over. Okay, the edges are curling over. You know, I you don't know, here's, have a... Here's a situation. Uh, I have a long row of them in one area and a smaller row in another. The one row is fine, a small one. The bigger row where we're having a problem, there's one plant in the middle that's growing up taller and it looks fine so I can't imagine how one would get it and the rest would uh, it's something we haven't seen before yeah it's something that uh, I'm not real versed on either I've not seen it, lilacs are pretty durable we do have some problems associated with them but uh, this year has been a little bit uh, unusual, we're seeing some disease issues, I'd go back uh, you know, it's probably not a fertility issue because they don't have um, real high fertility needs. Uh, we had a lot of lush growth with the uh, with the uh, moisture we had earlier in the year, and that did lead to some uh, both fungal and bacterial diseases. We've seen that on a number of uh, trees. Uh, let me let me ask you this: Does it almost look as if they've been flamed out, uh, as if you'd taken? Maybe either a blowtorch or something like that, or are you seeing any stems where the leaves have been dropped and out at the far end of the stem, you're seeing kind of a hook, what we call a shepherd's crook? I, I haven't noticed a shepherd's crook, uh, but the leaves are they're on the on the on the bushes yet, but, but they're, they're brown. They're curling up and, uh, and turning brown. They turn brown and almost crispy. Right. You know. You know, I, I, I'm concerned that that might be a bacterial infection. Uh, we've had uh, fire blight this year across a number of different species, uh, most notably in uh, apples, but also uh, the lilac can be affected. Uh, certainly uh, mountain ash, sorbus can be affected. And I, I 
that sounds a lot like fire blight, which is a bacterial infection. We've seen it this year. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, it's quite unusual, actually, to see it uh, like this as, as extensive as it's been. Um, on those, tree, on those uh, shrubs that are infected, uh, do you see, you see the leaves that are crisping and turning? Are there still green leaves farther down the stem? Uh, well, it seems it affects the, mostly the whole bush. Mostly the whole bush. It's the one, except for the one in the center, the big tall one. Yeah, that might have some resistance. Uh, based on what you're telling me, it sounds a lot like uh, a bacterial infection called fire blight. Uh, at this point, I don't know if it uh, if it pays to prune them up. It sounds like uh, you might want to just let them go. And, and uh, you know, if in fact uh, this is a systemic bacterial disease, it can move through the entire plant. Uh, it can, if it gets real severe, it usually just... Uh, kind of maims the plant, but uh, it can actually kill it if, if it's very extensive, and we've seen some of that this year. In most cases, like lilac, should be able to grow out of that next year. My concern, you know, would be setting up both leaf and flower buds at this time during the year, and there may not be enough energy if this is very extensive uh, to do that for next year. So I think if it's that extensive, you don't have green tissue, uh, I think you're going to have to just let it go and see what comes through the um, through the winter months and see if you can break some buds next year. You may wind up replacing, uh, you know, those those plants that were really uh, heavily infected. Uh, that, based on your description, is what I think we have going there, and we've seen that this year. It's unusual, but we've seen quite a bit of that uh, throughout our landscapes. I think that's what you got going on there. Okay. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Stay with them, and if you do any pruning, if you've got some some of these shrubs that you've still got green tissue, you can very carefully prune out. Go beyond into the green tissue. Uh, use a, a hand pruning shear. Be very careful. All of those uh, all those diseased portions of the of the plant are loaded with spores. You don't want to spread those, so you can clump, uh, prune those up and get those off the property if you can in some way. Get them far removed from the, from the lilac. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little bit of a job um, with a lilac like that uh, because they're generally resistant. You might uh, just see how they come through next year with the expectation that you might have to replace uh, some of those. Okay. Uh, one thing I didn't mention, I do have a stacked wood pile right along in front of the uh, lilac hedge. Okay. It's been there for uh, a couple of years, but it's covered and the wood is all dry. Yes. Uh, but I, I'm wondering if something could be crossing over from decaying wood or... You know, I, in this case, I don't think that's the issue. Okay. I think you're okay with your wood pile. Um, when these bacterial spores uh, get in, uh, get a, we call it manifest when they begin to uh, be exposed, they're they're everywhere, blowing in the wind. They're microscopic, okay. and it and uh, they'll blow everywhere. And if there's a vulnerable shrub or tree, uh, and if conditions are right, it will attack them. So there's uh, I don't think the wood pile has anything to do with it. It's good thought though. I think it's just what's happened this year, and the only thing I can, why did we get it this year? We had all that lush 
uh, green growth early, and uh, that that left the, these leaves a little vulnerable to some of the spores where they could attack. All so right. I, I believe that's what you've got going there. And uh, it's so extensive, it may not pay to prune. You may want to just um, just see how they can come through the uh, through the year, and uh, but you may have to replace some of those next year. Okay? All right. Very good. Yep. Thank you. Okay, Thank you enough. for the call. Very Thank nice. You. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, Bob, we're at 928. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. All right, Bob, back to the phones we go. Hi, who is this? Uh, this is Barb from Hunter Park. Hi, Barb. Go ahead. Good morning, um, Barb. Bob, I have a friend that got a, a strangula plant for a gift for her birthday, and she was wondering if it's too late to plant it. Outside. You know, you could you give me the name of the plant again, please? Hydrangela? Oh, hydrangea. Hydrangea? No. Okay. <laughs> yes, I would. Uh, it is not too late. Uh, now, she got it. Is it a hardy hydrangea? We have a lot of we have a lot of hydrangeas that are potted up. They're grown in the greenhouse. They're potted up as gift plants. Is that the type of hydrangea we're well, we're looking at in here? A sm- in a small pot. That's what she told me. Okay, uh, these are gift plants, or we sometimes call them hospital plants, uh, which are grown in the greenhouse. There's no guarantee about the winter hardiness of that. Uh, I would be a little bit suspicious uh, and suspect that we're going to get them through the winter. Many of the hydrangeas, and hydrangeas have become very, very popular. Uh, started with the Endless Summer series uh, that was put out actually by one of the largest wholesale nursery producers in North America, Bailey's, uh, just outside of St. Paul down in Twin Cities. And um, they started with the Endless Summer Series, and, and that spun off a lot of different ways. But they they specifically selected for very hardy varieties. you got this beautiful bloom, probably a, a purple bloom or maybe a pink bloom, depending on the, the acidity in the container. Um, I'm almost inclined to say enjoy that in the house and keep it there as a house plant and maybe uh, maybe even transplant it into a little larger pot with some better potting soil. Then you're sure of what you've got. Uh, some of these that are grown in the greenhouse are not really uh, intended to be set outdoors. Oh, okay. And then I and, have one But more she question. also has the option of, of giving it a try. And uh, not knowing, you might want to mulch something like that in with a little straw mulch. Uh, just be sure to give it a little advantage. If it is winter hardy, makes it through the winter, uh, they can be very, very nice plants. The mulch would be okay to have in here. The straw mulch. Yeah, you can, yeah if you if you're to mulch it in uh, and you want to let it go, you wouldn't want to put the mulch on until maybe early November, a good straw mulch on top of it. So at that point, it, it will have died back. You can cut it back and then uh, mulch it in and see if you can bring it through the winter. That. But there are no guarantees on any of those, that's for sure. Okay, fine. Thank you okay. so much. Yep, okay. thanks for the call. Thank you for your call. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very nice. All right, we're at uh, 9.35. We can take another break, Bob. Be right back. And we're back with the Bob Olden Show on a Tuesday, the 6th of September. Days keep getting shorter, Bob. 6.35 for the sun up. It sets at 7.38 already. Holy cow. Yeah. It's surprising how fast they get <laughs> they get shorter, Dave. Yeah, and the uh, leaves are changing, I notice, on a few trees already. Absolutely. I would expect there, of course, we've got this wonderful, glorious uh, 
uh, fall season coming upon us and some of the beauty in the area, I would expect that we're going to get some great color this year because we've had enough moisture. And, you know, all of those pigments, which sit there underneath the the green chlorophyll pigment, uh, they all set up. We need good active growth. We've had good moisture that's gone with that. We have good sunlight. So I would expect it's going to be beautiful. But we're a ways away. We really don't want to rush the season. We want to enjoy this week and every every day. You know, peak uh, leaf looking time is really the end of September, last week in September, first week in October. And I would rather expect we're going to be right about on schedule this year. So things will begin to turn. But it uh, it certainly should be should be absolutely magnificent this year. You know, that combination of moisture and sunlight has been um, uh, pretty well, pretty regular through much of our season this year. It's been very, very good. Uh, we are seeing some unusual diseases. We mentioned um, the fire blight issue there, which we've seen across uh, northern Minnesota, at least from what I've received, the questions and inquiries I've had. And then... Uh, you know, we've seen certainly uh, in the northern part of uh, St. Louis County and farther north, we've we've had some problems with late blight on tomatoes. And late blight is different than early blight. Um, these are fungal diseases, and tomato being the number one crop, I had all kinds of inquiries a little bit earlier about uh, something that was devastating their tomato plants, and right away this came to mind. We, we see this very rarely. We see early blight, which is... Uh, one particular type of fungi, and then we see other leaf-borne fungi that attack the tomato plants. Septoria early blight are common. They're with us every year. Uh, they uh, they can be destructive. Uh, they can limit the plant's productivity, but uh, they don't typically just decimate a plant. Late blight's totally different, and it doesn't necessarily have to come late. We saw reports of this in mid-July when we were seeing a lot of uh, a lot of problems with it. But late blight uh, was one of the first fungi to be categorized. It's what we call uh, Phytophthora infestans. Now, that's Latin for great plant destroyer. Mm. And when I saw that, it, uh, it'll it come through. And the first photographs I saw, uh, tomato patches just being devastated. Uh, that's what first came to my mind. And as I say, we see it rarely. I think the last time I saw it to any extent in uh, northern Minnesota was about 10 years ago. But it can be very devastating it uh people did not know what it was and uh there are a couple of characteristics so if you've got tomatoes that are lush and green in the southern part of st louis county i haven't, I haven't seen a lot of it i got a lot of tomato plants out myself and i've not seen late bite here but i've seen a lot of it a little farther north so i don't know it comes in on the wind like we we talked about um, the bacterial spores this is fun fungi different but nonetheless, uh, the spores are blowing in the wind, so to speak. There's very little at this point that you can do about it. will affect potatoes and tomatoes in particular. Uh, destroys the fruit, which is a sad thing. So if, if you see any infection, you might want to harvest some of that fruit and consume it. Potatoes, it's kind of interesting. It'll take down the plant very quickly. The, the tubers seem to be in good shape, but... Oftentimes, because it's what we call systemic, it works its way down through the stem tissue and into the tubers. Uh, they don't store typically very well. And I know that uh, commercially, the big chippers out in northwestern Minnesota in the valley, Red River Valley, where they're taking potatoes, making them potato chips. Uh, if they have a fire, if they have a late blight issue on potatoes, uh, they're very concerned about uh, getting those in storage. They do not store well. So. My advice would be to, um, if your potato patch does go down, 
And uh, not too much going to be able to do about the tomatoes. That rots the fruit pretty readily. But if the potatoes go down, tubers look good, and they're they're wholesome. There's there's nothing uh, that's going to be dangerous about this. But I would consume them early. I wouldn't plan on storing them uh, through the winter because oftentimes that infection just turns them to mush over time as well. So we're seeing some unusual things. Every year is a little different. That's uh, kind of the fun part of this game. Uh, A little unusual and uh, different things uh, occur at different times during the season and uh, during different years. And I just think it's... uh, both fungal and bacterial disease get expressed. I think they're probably always with us to some extent, but they get expressed more under very specific conditions of humidity, temperatures, both day temperatures, night temperatures, rainfall, and how continuous the rainfall is, how much sunlight we have to dry the plants down. So there are all these environmental factors, and each one of these uh, diseases has a specific requirement. When the requirements are there based on the weather, we see uh, the disease, and sometimes it can run rampant. So if you got tomatoes, the plants look good. They're lush and green. You have to be very appreciative and thankful. Some people are not that lucky farther north. And um, at least all you have to do now is worrying about uh, ripening up, and Dave's doing a nice job there on that forecast, warming things up for us. So I think right. we're still going to have a pretty good tomato year, but it, it's been a little late, that's for sure. All right, back to the phones we go, Bob. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Ron, and I like to go back to the lawn for a moment Mm -hmm. sure um okay the uh nitrogen content in the uh fertilizer uh should it be like uh i see like 26 maybe zero zero or 10 10 10 uh what would be the best for this time oh that's that's a great question um in most lawn fertilizers, now in both Minnesota and Wisconsin, lawn fertilizer that's applied to an established lawn without a, without a soil test indicating any deficiencies um, will not have any phosphorus in it. So you're going to look at, then we've got the three numbers, N, P, and K, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. If we use it as an example of 10, 10, 10, that's 10% nitrogen, 10% phosphorus, 10% potassium. But that's not a lawn fertilizer. That uh, cannot be used on a lawn unless you've got a soil soil test that indicates a deficiency of phosphorus. So your your lawn fertilizers, um, you know, nitrogen is going to be very important. That's what's going to p- uh, push out these underground stems, the rhizome. But um, most lawn fertilizers will also have some potassium, uh, which helps with the winter hardiness and disease resistance. So you're going to look at a typical lawn fertilizer might be first number nitrogen will be in the 20s so it'll be 20 percent there'll be no phosphorus in the middle and then you might have a potassium the third number of three to six so i think that's all that's just fine uh what you will want to do is you want to put and apply well we it's actually one pound of actual nitrogen so we key this all on the nitrogen and um, determine how many square feet you've got. We put on one pound of actual nitrogen per thousand square feet. I think the best thing a homeowner should do is you should pace your lawn off and and determine how many square feet you have in your lawn because people misjudge this all the time. We get fertilizer that's overapplied, it's underapplied, and we really want about one pound of actual nitrogen per uh, thousand square feet. So, and we want to ballpark this. It doesn't have to be extremely precise, but we want to get it close. So, if you've got a lawn fertilizer that's a, uh, a 20% or something in that range, the first number, 
Uh, that would be about five pounds of the actual product, which will give you one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet. So you you base it on that and the percentage of nitrogen. But uh, I would really encourage people, and I've done this every very long I've applied fertility to. I do it once. I get an approximate understanding of how many thousand square feet I've got to cover. And then I work off the nitrogen, and I'll get one pound per application. So if you put one pound of nitrogen per application per thousand square feet, and then if we get some good growth, we might have time to get a second application. But we don't want to overapply. We don't want to underapply. Does some of that make sense to you, Ron? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> Too much math involved for me, Bob. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm 71 years old and uh, back to school. All right, there you so, go. Back to school and 71, yeah. but a young 71 for sure. Okay, thank you. Oh, yeah, the other thing the you call. can do, uh, some of the fertilizers, particularly there are many name brands out there, uh, they've got good instructions on the back for yeah. you as well. But figuring how big your lawn is and pacing that off is a good idea. How many square feet do we actually have out there? It's like some of the farmers we work with. How big is that field? They look at us. That's two acres. We pace it off. They got an acre and a half. That makes a great big difference. (laughs) Same thing with your lawn. Uh, Do that once. uh, Know how many thousand square feet you've got in your lawn, and that'll be very helpful for as long as you're fertilizing that lawn. Just like fish, they're always, uh, you know, smaller than you thought they were. Yeah, they offer time, sorry, that's for sure. All right, 9.48, we'll take another break. Be right back with more of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, I am guessing the farmer's markets are overflowing with uh, goodies about this time of year. Yeah, the the benches are full, (laughs) and uh, really the bounty, the harvest is there for sure, Dave. And we've got a big week coming up here, Mm -hmm. of course. uh, The Luth Farmer's Market there, 14th Avenue, East and 3rd Street. Uh, Wednesday is a great time to shop, 2 to 5. Product's exceptional, and um, there's always a lot of product on Wednesday, not quite as many customers because it's middle of the week like that, so it's a great time to be shopping, easy park and so forth. And then we get in the weekend, of course, on Saturday, and we've got the Bayfront Harvest Fest. we got everything going on this week, so it's going to be... Uh, going to be very very busy it's it is probably the peak of the harvest and the warm season stuff's coming in i've seen some pumpkins uh mine aren't ready yet but others are uh, are producing pumpkins we're seeing uh you know some folks that have some corn now and tomatoes are coming in so things are uh things are beginning to finally move along it's been a little slow getting started but nonetheless uh, the product is exceptional it's one of the nice things you know we do develop nice sugars in a lot of our, our crops, and uh, we don't burn them out because we've got the cooler temperatures at night. So there's some advantages in having uh, a cooler climate to grow in. It just takes a little bit longer to get here, but now we're getting there. So Duluth Farmer's Market, that's 14th Avenue East and 3rd, and Wednesdays 2 to 5, Saturdays 12, 8 to 12. Uh, good time, family-friendly, $2 token-free for all the kids, so it's really a good time, Dave. And it's a uh, sense of community and a lot of fun for everyone always music and other things going on there so it's a it's a good time dave how's the corn crop coming bob well it's coming it's a little (laughs) slow (laughs) but it's coming beginning to sugar up and so forth but it's uh it has been slow this year that's for sure it'll be really sweet corn when it's finally ready yeah, it will be. Hopefully this frost stays away for a little while, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, sadly enough, uh, there there has been frost this time of year already in, in past years. Uh, oh, I'm well aware of that. Yeah, yes. I'm looking at, uh, let's see, today's uh, record low is 33. That was in 1986. 
86, not too long ago, really. So it can really get cold this time of year, too, as well as hot. It can. Uh, average frost uh, date mm. is uh, over the hill at the airport. It's September 21st, Ooh, so that's boy. average. But okay. average are averages, which right. means that it can happen on either side of the average. <laughs> we're pushing for a late frost. Down along the lake, it's about early October, October 2nd. But mm. we're uh, we're pushing for a late frost, and everyone's location a little different. I know we got mm. viewers or listeners all over the area, and we got some places where the elevation is a little bit lower. I've got one particular plot where I have to be very careful because the frost seems to hit there early. Hmm. So none of my tomatoes go in there, uh, yeah. just uh, some frost-tolerant materials. So every place a little different, every location is a little different, but it, it is that time of year. Uh, but hopefully no frost for uh, a good long while here, Dave. Sounds good. Uh, we can wrap things up, Bob, if you want. What else is going on? Well, I was just, I wanted to comment real quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great time for planting. If you want to plant trees and shrubs, if you unfortunately have lost them to one thing or another, we had the, the issue with fire blight. And uh, I know I believe it was Ron there. I'm, uh, I am a little concerned when I see that kind of damage. It's that extensive. He may have to do some replacing. There he's going to wait till next year and see what happens, see what comes through the winter. But if you want to put a new tree in the ground, uh, there's been so much interest. You can find a good a good tree at this point uh, that sometimes they get discounted because the nurseries don't want to take them through the winter. Uh, I would grab them because uh, there's been a real shortage everywhere. Uh, we came off the pandemic, a lot of people paying attention to their yards, and uh, there certainly has been a shortage of trees. You know, they have to plan this uh, 10, 15 years ahead, and nobody knew that we'd be going through this, uh, this pandemic time and then a renewed interest in gardening, so they've been a little short. Get a valuable tree out there. Let's make sure we protect them. Appreciated the call from one of our master gardeners, Roberta, last week that uh, had seen these volcano mulches that were built up around the the bark of a tree that will kill a tree. So make sure if you're going to use chip mulches, we love that around the tree, but mm-hmm. never up against the stem. But you do want to protect that main stem, the main trunk. So I would say um, invest in the tree, but then also invest in good deer protection, a good fence, invest in uh, a, a tube, a plastic tube that's going to go around the main stem, uh, use some mulch uh, around the, maybe two or three inches from the stem out beyond the drip line of the tree. You can take the sod out if you like and mulch it all in with a, a good wood chip mulch uh, so that we get the penetration, keep the weeds under control, but we also get water that works its way down through that mulch and then the grass doesn't intercept it, so the water works its way into the uh, root zone for the trees. So that's one of the reasons why we like to mulch them in like that, but keep the mulch away from the from the main stem. If you do put that uh, that cylinder of poly around the outside, remember again that the tree will grow up real quickly. I've seen this happen many times. They'll put a uh, plastic tube around there. It's a good idea. Protects from sun scald, protects from uh, field mice, protects from rodents. They've got to do that, but as a tree grows, we don't want any contact between the plastic and the stem, so they have to come off at some point. If you put like a drain tile in there that's four to six inches, you've got four or five years before, maybe six, seven years before the tree actually comes in contact. But a lot of the uh, nursery material that's being sold, uh, they're smaller tubes, and anytime we have contact between the plastic and the stem, we can get water in there, we can get rot, so be very conscious. We want those those tubes on there for protection 
but we want to take them off as the tree grows and as the diameter of the uh, the truck expands. No contact there. But I, um, you know, I've learned this the hard way, as most of our, us have. Uh, we got to get deer protection on there. Got to get a good fence around the outside. Got to get uh, a tube around the the tree itself to protect from mice. So good protection, good trees, great time of year. They don't really need to be staked at this time. We get later in. We may have to stake them because the roots don't get a chance to get established. But if you're going to plant tree shrubs, let's get those going here by September 15th so they get a good start coming into the winter. All right. There we go, Dave. A little more than what you asked for. Oh, that's great. I had to slip that in because I see people. I saw a tree. I saw a price tag on it, $300. They left the the price tag on there. And uh, it wasn't properly protected. That thing, I can almost cry when I see that kind of thing because you just don't know if it's going to make it... uh, uh, through the deer uh, deer damage and the field mice that can girdle a tree pretty readily as well. Good information, okay. Bob, and we'll catch you back here again uh, next week. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feed Bed in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.